Introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. Coming off the heels of the most controversial minor wisdom, this week I've got Matt Ludlam. A lot of you know Matt Ludlam from uh, his uh, swag that he distributes at TTA. You've got his posters in your classrooms, in your offices. Your kids are wearing uh, buttons from his company, uh, Ludlam Dramatics. And uh, he agreed to come on this week. Uh, check him out on his website, Ludlam Dramatics. Uh, he self-confessed. He said that he needs to update it himself, but that's not his bread and butter. His bread and butter is live and in person right in front of you, shooting swag at you uh, at these different conventions, these various conventions around the state of Texas, even the country. He's, he's sending stuff all over the place. So uh, he even talks about international sales. So good for him. It's something that I think a lot of us have wanted to take that deep dive to do something similar to what he's done, but we just haven't done it. And he did. And he's doing a great job of it, teaching in a bunch of different schools, doing, uh, I guess for lack of better words, a workshop style, but he's there all the time. So it's not inconsistent for these kids. It's not just a one and done, but uh, he's got a unique way of going about education and going and seeing kids and reaching kids and teaching theater to those kiddos. Uh, and that's something to be commended. And once again, I want to just uh, kind of give that shout out out there to Stuart Savage. Some things might have happened last week where you might have heard the wrong cut of a conversation I had with him. And uh, you know what? Again, that it was just what it was. Um, and I apologize for that. But now the good cut, the G-rated version is out there. It's a lot more fun to listen to anyway, because we all like that G-rated stuff. Um, once again, follow me on Twitter. I've also got a shirt out now. If you go to the Twitter account, you can purchase a shirt. The Facebook account, you can purchase the shirt. Thank you to those people that have already done so. I did this because I would like to go places and interview people live. It's much better that way. And so this would help me with that funding. Anyway, enough of me. Here is this week's Groner Joke with a Why Fine Arts from Mr. Eric Lane, hand model extraordinaire. Eric is an L.A. actor who I went to high school with and was actually featured on the very first Minor Wisdom. Please do not go back and listen to it. Much different podcast. But Eric is a funny guy and put together an interesting way of telling you what fine arts means to him. How do you drown an actress? Easy. Put a mirror at the bottom of a pool. What fine arts education means to me. I hope I get it. I hope I get it. I hope I get a performing arts education. Why? So that I can suddenly see more beauty in the world. Not just for one day, not just for one week, but for 525,600 minutes. So that we can ease on down, ease on down the road to a better world so that our art can be seen by the entire world one day. Hopefully that it's in some type of a gallery. Furniture saves you money. Thank you, um, 
thank thank you Eric Lane for helping me out with that um maybe a little bit more of a serious interview something that maybe you'll enjoy better than that last fine arts little sketch that Eric put together my conversation this week is with Matt Ludlam enjoy I was a huge high school theater nerd. It was one of my favorite things back then. I was kind of a flaky student, but that was like my place of acceptance. And I had an amazing theater teacher back then. His name was Larry Smith. and He's gone on to become a really big name in the Southeast for bringing Cirque into high school theater. And he does a lot of stuff at the National Thespian Festival. He was kind of my role model and mentor and amazing point in my life. And so when high school was over, I was like, oh, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to be an actor. And I went to Stephen F. Austin. I studied there. And halfway there, I was like, I don't know if I want to be an actor, but I really like working with kids and all of that. And so I ended up going into teaching. And I taught theater at uh, Louisville Independent School District for about eight years. And it was a really fun time. I had some great people I worked with. Before that, I got to work with Nancy Prince. She was the one who wrote the... Um, exploring theater textbook that I don't think any middle school still use, but some of them probably still have that textbook lying around. And after a while of being in the classroom, I just started burning out. I had some really interesting administrators who weren't really theater focused and we were kind of almost treated like a babysitter sometimes. And so I burn out and I decide, okay, I'm going to stop teaching. I'm going to do something else now. And so I took a job at a call center and ended up uh, walking out during the, t- the, what do you call it, the training. And I was like, oh, I need to go get my Social Security card and never came back. And I kind of drifted for a little while. And then I was like, oh, I want to keep teaching. I just don't want to do it in a public school anymore. And so I started up Love Them Dramatics. And my focus at the time was homeschool groups where I'd go and do theater with you know people who didn't really necessarily have a lot of experience doing theater stuff. But that took off, and then I kind of expanded to a lot of Montessori schools and private schools who were too small to have a full-time theater person on staff. And so I would circulate, and that just kind of exploded. And then one day I needed stuff for my classroom, and I went to a teacher store. And of course, as I think everyone who teaches theater knows, there's almost nothing there. I was like, well, this sucks. I could, you know, kind of take some English posters or some music posters and kind of tweak them so they're theater related. But that wasn't really going to work either. So I decided to make my own. And so I went out on a limb and I printed up about five posters. I had a friend uh, help me do some of the design. And I took them to TETA that year and got a booth and I sold about 5,000 of them. Like they all sold out. I was like, oh, I think teachers want this stuff. Yeah. And so I kept going. And since then, I now have like 33 different posters. I still teach full time. I go to about 12 different schools a week and do different stuff, all ages, uh, young as four, all the way up to a lot of 17 and 18 year olds. And just depends on the school. And so I have a lot of different hats I wear all the time. So I'm still full time teaching, but then I'm also, you know, slinging posters and buttons and wristbands and all that at the exact same time. It's been interesting. Yeah. So how do you how do you manage your time? I mean, I uh, you you tr- you said twelve schools plus the the shop part of things. The you know I'm looking at your website right now and all of that, uh, all of those elements as well. Like, what do you you know you just have a massive calendar that uh, <laughs> you know punches yeah. you in the face when you got to be somewhere. I, I stay incredibly busy most of the time. No, I, I keep it all straight with a calendar. I have a full-time single dad with my kids. 
And so I just kind of balance it out. I have uh, work hours or kind of office hours that I keep at least once or twice a week where from, you know, three hours at this time, I will only do stuff in the office. And the rest of the time, I'm at the schools and I'm teaching. I try to regulate and limit uh, my performances that I have to do and run with the students. I tend to not do as many performances. I am more trying to think process driven. And with a lot of the Montessori schools and AB schools and private schools, they're they seem to be very accepting of that, where they don't necessarily want the huge dog and pony show, but they want their children and the students to have the experience of theater games, theater bonding, a lot of interpersonal connections that come from a theater class. And so since I've only limped myself to a few shows a year, it frees up a lot of time for doing other things, because I'm sure most teachers know when you're teaching and doing productions, that's your life. So do you offer, like the classes that you offer, do you have that, those rubrics, that curriculum, do you have that somewhere? Um, I have it all. I have some stuff that I used to put on Teachers Pay Teachers, and every now and then I'll share stuff out for people who are interested. But a lot of it's just kind of, I don't know, in my head and spread across like, you know, 50 different files on my computer and various notebooks in my office. What, uh, do you have kids that you've had from start to finish practically? I I mean, I don't think you've been doing it. Have you been, well, how long have you been doing this? Uh, well, let's see, this is my 17th year teaching. And so So some of the students in my first year have graduated and are in college now and, Right. Some of them are out in the world. Do you have kids? Because you said you go as young as about four years old. Do you have kids that have gone through four to 17? Um, not with me the whole time, because usually I'm a good jumping off point. The ones who are really passionate and want to do a lot of acting, and you know, you want to do productions, I'll point them to different directions, community theaters, acting groups, student theaters, and I get them plugged in so they can continue where, you know, are, I stop. Are you staying professionally active with productions outside of even teaching and the 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 as you said slinging swag uh no unfortunately i can't i've been wanting to dip my toes and get back into the professional world or at least get back into doing something outside of you know my educational duties but it's just hard to find the time i really admire those who i see who are doing a whole show and then they're acting in a show and plus kids family husbands spouses everything it's impressive how, so and and explain to me because I've asked a couple people this because the the drive that you have is sort of uh, unique, right? So you wake up in the morning and you're ready to go. Uh, how do you keep yourself motivated to get with you know twelve different schools in a week or or so, and uh, then continue on with your you know the I guess the 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 salesmanship side of things? How do you keep yourself motivated? Keep yourself up? Speak on that um, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, no, it can be very, very tough. But luckily, like most people who are involved in theater, I really love what I do. And I've been successful in removing a lot of the things that I don't care for when it comes to the educational side. That's the part that can become a burden. I I was really, really struggling my last few years when I was teaching in public school. Because while I loved working with the kids, and now granted there were some challenges, um... I was just burning out with uh, the non-theater stuff that you have to do. I mean, when I had to monitor tests or do bathroom duties while everyone's doing a test or having to write a thousand things on my board that were really irrelevant, but they had to have them up in case the superintendent walked through. And that was all very soul-sucking. But 
the beauty of the way I'm doing it now, and it's very much a niche, is that I go into these schools, I get to do the theater aspect, and then I get to get out. Um, I still do grades for most of my schools. I still have to do parent meetings every now and then, but I really just do the theater stuff and then I'm gone. And so that keeps me motivated and it gets me to focus on what I like. And because I come in as, you know, the expert or the professional theater person, I don't have a lot of questions. Like they might say, okay, well, we would like a show or we would like you to cover these aspects. We'd like more Shakespeare this year or this semester. And that's very easy to incorporate for me. But I... It just, I don't know, I get to kind of choose. I have an educational buffet in front of me. I've kind of built myself room to have the freedom. And it took a long time to get there. But since I've started the company, once I've, you know, I don't know, it's just really worked out luckily for me where I don't have to worry about burning out so passion can kind of burn through. You're like, uh, you're like a 30-something grandpa. Uh, (laughs) You get to you get to see the kids, but you know you're gonna leave them in an hour after dessert. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's exactly right. But because <laughs> that, I also have to do things to like. I have to make sure I do when I'm working with younger kids, cool down exercises, so I don't get them all worked up yeah. and jazzed up. Then we kind of do meditation at the end, and I'm always looking to incorporate new things to you know bring into the class. That's where I go to conferences like Thespians or TETA, and it's just. You know, it's invigorating, so I have to wear all the hats when I'm there. Is there usually, like, a co-teacher there with you that is the paperwork person or the behavior person, or are you kind of on your on your own, and because it's a unique situation, they uh, cater it to you a little bit more? Um, no, I'm usually on my own for classroom management. When I do work with younger students, like, say, I'm doing a pre-K class or something like that, and that's more of a creative dramatics um situation where we do things that I go in and I kind of tell a creative story or act out a story and then we all act it out physically together or I give them you know little prompts so they will act it out by themselves in front of the class and in some of those younger groups there will be just another teacher sitting in the room and they can definitely help out when there's a behavior issue but no a lot of it's just come down to classroom management that's one of the reasons I've been able to build up my routine, like, oh, no, you can put him in there, and the kids aren't going to burn the place down, and he's not going to scream and yell at them, and they still seem to get stuff accomplished. Now, I do have the benefit, as a lot of these schools are private schools, Montessori schools, where, I don't know, there's just a lot, there's a lot less issues that come in with them, some of those. Now, they do have issues, and there are a lot of special needs and things that I need to make sure are addressed and covered. But one of the things that's a huge difference is that when I'm in public school, you teach everyone. Everyone who's in your room is there. Private schools are selective about who they take in. And so I fully admit I don't have a lot of the challenges that a quote-unquote normal classroom teacher has because I'm not teaching every single person. Right. And you you have two kids of your own, correct? Yeah, no. Are they theatrical? uh, Oh, very. No, they... Uh, their mom was also a drama teacher and theater teacher, and no, they are very, very theatrical. My daughter wants to be an actress, and you know, sparkly dresses, queens. <laughs> she goes through my closets and put on all of my different supplies all the time. My son likes the attention, but he's—I think he's rebelling and he's trying wants to do football instead. Yeah. But and what, it what is, is what it is. <laughs> what do they? Th- what do they think of Daddy's cool theater swag? 
Oh, they love going through it. And okay. sometimes, sometimes they'll help me design stuff or go through like, hey, I want something that says this. I want a T-shirt or you need to make a poster that does this. I'm right. like, oh, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be at TTA this year, correct? Yes, I'm going to yep. be at TTA. I'm going to be at the Texas Thespians. I'm going to do the January Educational Thespian Festival that they just started up last year. Did you yep. get to attend that, or do you know yeah, anything yeah, yeah. about I'm that? A, I'm on the board, so uh, I don't do much of the planning of that, but I do definitely help with that. No, I'm excited about that. And then I'm doing more travel. I think I'm going to try to go to National Thespians again this summer and the southeastern theater conference the big one that's in kentucky i think this spring or yeah the spring where do you you find more of your success do you find it i mean it's probably different success but do you do you find more success at a student-driven festival or at a teacher-driven um it just depends i honestly enjoy working with uh or seeing the teachers more because i feel like i get more feedback on what could be productive or what they can use more in their classrooms or what they're looking for right now there's a big push and i think we're going to do this as our next print run is some posters in spanish and so we have some more bilingual posters that are up there because a lot especially here in texas or anywhere in america at this point um it's a bilingual classroom and it can be helpful right and so that's our new thing. And I don't know that I get the best feedback and I enjoy the communicating and seeing the fruits of my labors and the students are fun. They come and they buy lots of little buttons and yeah. wristbands and they can kind of let me know where things are trending. But I always enjoy the, the teacher festivals a little bit more. Do you have slap bracelets? I did. In fact, I have a secret stash in my office. I only bust out for conferences now. I used to put them online. I was going to say. Are you one of those people who wants the slap bracelets? Well, I I mean, I remember the day that uh, slap bracelets were banned because, you know, people were literally shanking each other. Um, Yeah. uh, But, uh, yeah, no, slap bracelets are great. Uh, I I mean, bring them back. Yeah, I'll buy some. (laughs) And I have these little rubber ones that can't cut your wrist off, so that's nice. Yeah, I've seen the rubber ones. Actually, um, uh, one of our counselors yesterday at PD gave out some of those rubber ones, and and they hurt. Um, but uh, if if used in, <laughs> if used incorrectly, they hurt. Let's say that. So yeah, I'll put that well, on students it. are creative that way. Yes, yes, they are. It's like pencil break back <laughs> in the day. Um, well, Matt, is there anything else you you you've got to tell me? I I mean, I I like the the humanizing of people that you know are just kind of labeled, you know, Luis Munoz was, was humanized because people just thought he was an email, an automatic like, email <laughs> server. Uh, you know, there, there are people like that, that, uh, that, that are good to hear on these podcasts that we just humanize them a little bit. So you're no longer just a guy behind a counter, uh, hustling swag, but. Well, I'm always looking for new ideas and new things to help you know, help educators and to come up with new ideas. Because, I mean, I've made a lot of stuff, but most of my stuff the last two years, most of the new posters and ideas, I have kind of a brain trust on Facebook of about 15 to almost 20 different theater teachers. And I'm like, hey, what do you think about this idea? Like, hey, we really need this, and we'll all kind of work together and come up with whatever the new poster educational thing's going to be, a new version of the app. Um, I made the... It's, it's actually now defunct, but I had the amazing improv generator that I released like seven years ago, eight years ago. Where, But there's so many other better options now. It's like, you know, there's free things out there to do the same thing. I can just let mine coast apart. But now I'm always looking for ideas. I'm always looking for people to reach out and interact with us, you know, on Facebook and Instagram. And But it helps keep it alive and just keep fresh things coming. So I'm always looking for more ideas, and I'm very out there and accessible. 
So I, I, I guess I do have a question. What what is because you haven't been in public school for a while, or at least as a full time teacher. Uh, mm -hmm. But do, what is the difference between a kid that wants to be there in public school and a kid that doesn't want to be there in private school? Does that make sense? <laughs> no, it does. And it's a very real thing because there's a lot of students who aren't interested, whether it's because they're peers, they have other issues going on, or it's just, you know, they're a teenager or a middle schooler. Um, really, that's almost universal. I mean, you'll have the kids that don't want to be there because they don't want to look cool. But usually I've learned let's say 86% of the time, if I can put the energy in, I can almost win them over through just charm and activities. And a lot of the times I think it's easier in private school because those there's not as much turnover. There's not as much uh, rotation in students moving from school to school, or you'll see a same similar group of kids for a long time. And so when I have a group of kids that have been there for four years, five years, and they already like the program, they like that we're doing, it's easier to win over someone who doesn't want to be a performer, who's not as interested or might just have attitude that day because they see all their friends doing it, as opposed to where public school where you might have, you know, a whole class, which is their very first time coming in. They've never seen you. They've never done any theater. And so there's almost none of them wants to be the first one to enjoy something, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. And so, so that's a battle that I feel I don't have to fight as often, except for, you know, those first few days at school. And so when I'm doing those first few days at school, I become Captain Energy and I just coffee up and come in with the best attitude and fake it till we make it. And usually it might take a week. It might take three weeks. I'm usually able to win the students over via different theater games, activities, or just trying to find the theater that matches their interests. Because the beauty of all the amazing playwrights we have now, between uh, Don Zalaitis and Jonathan Dorff of Youth Plays, is that you can almost find something to match any attitude or interest level for students. And so that's made it very, very easy. It's nice going to these conventions and meeting a lot of these playwrights. And so I'd say, hey, and it's also the same in all the Facebook groups. There's several amazing theater Facebook groups. I know you're part of them. Yeah where you say, hey, I'm having a hard time reaching these students. Can anyone recommend a play that would be good for seven boys, 20 girls, or something like that? And then you can kind of use that to get the kids' attention. It's just, you know, the legwork's hard to do, and it's hard to find the time between administrative duties, family duties, life. But what is, so uh, What's something that you would tell, because we're, you know, school starting, what's something you, you could – give a piece of advice to a first-year teacher or even a first year into a theater classroom teacher? Start small. I think the the biggest issue is that I know this was something I did when I first started teaching is I'd come in the first day and like, okay, you guys are going to love me and we're going to do this all right now. We're going to do, you guys are going to act out a three-minute play that you just made up. And my advice and what works for me best for winning students over is baby steps where baby steps and communal activities and so that everyone's kind of doing a lot of similar things together so it's not anyone being put in place or putting out in the spot even small groups i hold off on until at least the end of the first week or at least until week two or three because if we're doing everything as a group we're all looking kind of silly or goofy together and i kind of start off very very mundane like we might be doing a warm-up we're all just stretching reaching our hands down and it'll slowly get slightly goofier so they don't really realize that they're getting into the deeper part of the water 
And usually before they know it, they're having fun. And so that was something I had to start doing when I was teaching public school. And I'd have, you know, 25 students who spoke about six different languages, and a lot of them were in English. And so to get them to buy in, we did a lot of group pantomime that would just start very, very slow and very, very not odd or not ridiculous and kind of build into that. And each day in each class, I'd kind of expand on that until they were, it was just normal for them to be doing ridiculous, silly, fun theater stuff all the time. And that brought a whole lot of buy-in. Does that make sense? Oh or, yeah, absolutely. Gives me it's a like when you're getting there. into the ocean or the lake, I mean, you can't just dive in or you're going to hate it and want to get out as fast as possible. You kind of put your toes in and it takes a while before you get, you know, above the waistband and, you just kind of inch your way in. But once you're up to your neck, you're usually pretty comfortable. You just got to make it a slow transition, especially for those students that's their first time or they have attitude or just don't want to be there. But yeah. usually you can win them over. So your your comment, uh, I'm glad you made it about uh, multiple you know, languages and such and trying to relate to people that don't even speak English and, and, and such. And storytelling has always been hist- historically the best way to communicate with anybody. I mean, everybody know when you're chopping something, there's a universal chop sign and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you can, you can tell how you killed the lion for your family. Uh, exactly. But, uh, so that, and I don't want to get political cause, um, Lord knows that's not what this podcast is about. And, uh, but I want to know student wise, what is, you know, you've been doing this 17 years. What is one of the, and don't say iPhone, what is one of the biggest changes you've seen that you've had to kind of adjust to between a student 17, you know, 16, 17 years ago to now? And um, you, can't say, you can't say attention span. That's copping out. No, no, no. It's really the, the best way I'd say is just cultural references are so varied now. Okay. Because, say, 18 years ago when I was first teaching, it like YouTube was a thing, but it wasn't a big thing and but most of the students kind of all had one thing they all knew about or there was at least some kind of baseline now there is so much different kinds of music mixed media ways to access these social apps that um no one not everyone's going to get the reference and so that makes it more interesting it also makes me feel really old and out of the loop most of the time but it's I think that's the biggest thing is there's not as many singular touchstones as a group that we have. And so we try to make those communally in group or in school that aren't just, you know, horrible incidents or something They're like, hey, remember this when we did all this together, we did a show. Sure. But yeah, that's the big I mean, you'll come into class and I'll think about making like a Bugs Bunny killed a wabbit, you know, opera joke or something like that, and it flies over everyone's head because they haven't seen those cartoons. They yeah. watch completely different things now. Has, so. has technology changed the way you've kind of run the, the Ludlum uh, dramatics, like the, that, that uh, side of things? Oh, yeah, like the, the sales stuff online yeah. or the classroom? Just No, the classroom stuff. Or, no, I'm sorry, not the classroom stuff. Uh, my brain is... Uh, fried right now no the 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 sales stuff online the the way you go about it at festivals etc oh i mean not really because when i started i started right at the advent of their being you know square app had just started with their little slider and so i was like that had was only like six months old or a year old when i started doing that and so it's been pretty easy i need to probably update my website and stuff like that but 
it's technology for the London Dramatic side. It's made communication a lot easier between people I want to reach and talk to. And, you know, I can put something out and it'll be shared. And all of a sudden I'll get a call from someone in Canada or in Ireland saying, hey, can we get this? Or an email, not a call. But so it's allowed me to be international and still operate out of my garage. So <laughs> <laughs> what, what is your do you know where your uh, furthest client is? Um, my second year, I got a lot of orders to New South Wales, Australia. I've shipped a lot of things to China. I think China and Australia are probably the farthest away. Um, most of the time it's the UK, South America, Canada, and of course, you know, I think I've shipped everywhere in America at this right. point. Right. We're spreading out, but That's funny. it's a whole thing. But as far as classroom, my favorite part about technology is how easy it is to let the kids make movies at this point where I can get a cheap handheld camera or even have them shoot video on their phone and email it to the school thing and they can edit it. I don't know. That's been a huge thing, especially the advent of like iMovie and a lot of the other easy software. And so that's another way to win over kids. Like, okay, we're making trailers today. Is there one, is there one you prefer over another? Well, I'm a Mac guy, and so I'm a big nerd, and so I like using iMovie for a lot of the different aspects. And it's they have so many just plug-and-play plug things that the students can shoot almost two minutes of random video and chop it up, and you have an exciting two-minute trailer with score and words and dialogue, and it's the way to go. Is that something you're big on, uh, film, with like theater and film and all that? I do because that's one that the students tend to be really excited. So yeah. my general curriculum waypoint is we start usually with some kind of pantomime and getting used to just the physicality. And then we will work on dialogue and scenes and improvising dialogue, partner scenes, duologues, monologues. And then from that, we'll start making movies where we combine it all. And usually we might even make silent movies first, depending on the motivation or what, which way the kids are going, where we'll study Charlie Chaplin for a little bit, some of the old classics. And then they'll have to make movies that can make sense, can have like, say, two captions in the whole three minute thing. But they film a black and white movie and... I don't know. It ends up really, really cute and easy. And other than me editing the videos, which is like 20 seconds of me just cutting and cutting and then make it black and white, select all black and white. But I know when I work with older kids, they can do all the editing. So it's beautiful. So there, uh, I, I pride myself on um, not knowing what I'm going to do that day at 630 in the morning and showing up to school and just doing some killer lesson whether it worked or not, I feel really good at the end of the day. <laughs> but <laughs> is there something that you just kind of you yourself improvised one day that that is now stuck and you it be, has become part of your annual lesson? Yeah, there's one activity I call it thirty second bomb. And I was struggling with having groups to make small scenes or create small scenes on their own. And I had this little online bomb timer. I think it's actually called like online bomb countdown timer. You can put two minutes, 30 seconds. And it has an old style like circular bomb with a huge fuse that gets smaller and smaller. And I'd put it up on the screen or have it on my computer flipped around. And it helped me with the issue of having students focus on what they needed to do to work. And so, okay, I'd say you have 30 seconds for each task. You can't do anything other than this task I'm going to give you during this 30 seconds. So for the first 30 seconds, like, okay, get you have 30 seconds, get in a group of four, sit on the ground. And timer would go off. Okay, you have 30 seconds, think of a setting. You have 30 seconds, think of an issue. 
You have 30 seconds, think of your problem, think of your solution. You have 30 seconds, think of three pieces of or a dialogue that each person has to say. You have one minute, review it. Okay, act it out now. And because of that very structured thing, and I pulled it out of my butt one day when I was kind of half tired, I didn't have a strong lesson. And I was like, you guys aren't getting this. But that just gave them the focus. And now that's something all my kids get really excited about. But they all seem to also be very successful with it because I give them all the tasks. And I know, okay, this group or this particular class needs to focus on, I don't know, being in control or physicality. Okay, well, you need you have 30 seconds. You have to also add five different movements you have to add into this or, you know, something along those lines. Right. That's good. You need, that's see. There's there's something you need to put on your website. Just the the thirty second countdown clock itself, or the the animated uh, the bomb exploding, or whatever that is. No, that's good. I'll, I'll take you up on that. I'll do that later on today. You motivated me. Yeah, just don't go out there and say, "Hey guys, I've created a thirty second bomb." That might not be. <laughs> might not be yeah. <laughs> or it might be the best or, one. Yeah, probably yeah. not. That's very true. Yes, you never know until you try. It. Uh, <laughs> well, Matt, uh, I'm gonna let you get back at it um, and uh, get ready for kids, and I'm gonna get ready for kids and uh, figure out what I'm doing tomorrow for the ten minutes I get to see them. So, uh, but. Um, Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Money.